oh, this is, shouldn't, I shouldn't be saying this. They're going to all cast me out. They'll never hire me again. You just got to remember that all of the machine of the industry isn't a machine at all. It's all run by humans. Like work within your means. Like if you've got a street, use the street. If you've got a warehouse, use the warehouse. If you've got a car park or a car, like use the car. Wouldn't it be fun if your life was just that bit more exciting? Our next guest is Bertie Watkins. Bertie is the founder and artistic director of Colab Theatre. I've watched from afar and admired how Colab have grown from a one-person company to a company that now runs three productions a year across four venues in London. For me, they've been one of the most generous companies online, especially on social media, and this generosity continues as Bertie opens up his diary to let us in on his thought process methods and the philosophy that goes into making collabs work. I'm really excited to share this latest chapter with you. So without further ado, let's hear from Bertie. My name's Alex Palmer. This is the director's diary. It's no one's intention ever to share a diary. So if you're listening to this, keep it close and use it well. So hello Bertie and thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to get you on the podcast. Thank you very much. So something we do um, for all of our special guests is something, uh, it's a bit of an impossible task, um, but it's, I think, really gets to the essence of who you are. So could you tell us, in two minutes, your life story? Uh, Right, I grew up in South London, uh, born and raised uh, from Welsh parents. Uh, Went to a school in Tooting called Graveney School. Um, It was all right, it was quite a good school. Um had a really good drama department um and then there is where i started being a young producer at bac uh batsy art center in well in batsy uh then i became a young producer that's when i also saw punch drunks mask of the red death and i was in it at 13 years old um as part of the ypt of bac and then um sort of got bitten by the immersive bug. Then as a young producer at BAC, sort of wanted to do a few bits and bobs. Um, that was sort of during 17, 18. Um, and then instead of going to uni, um, which I didn't go to, I ended up going to all around London essentially. So I sort of went to the Lyric Hammersmith, Bush, uh, Wilton's Music Hall, um, all of those type of venues. Um, to get as much experience as possible. And then I started doing a few immersive bits. I did sort of Rift, worked with Rift on that big Macbeth thing. Um, Did Coney, did Look Left, Look Right, all those kind of ones. And then started Colab basically. That's where I sort of ended up. Um, And then I went from there essentially. Shall I carry on into Colab? I was giving 30 seconds to Colab. Here we go, that's perfectly timed. Uh, And then I did Colab uh, where we sort of started very small. Uh, did more street-based stuff, um, and then we started getting venues uh, slowly and surely from just doing immersive work, and we started getting more interested in doing venue-based work. So then we started doing venue-based stuff and our personal production stuff, um, and then it's pretty much just been snowballing up to this point. Uh, so that's where we are today in 2021, and COVID was shit. Boom. <laughs> That was well done. Very well done. Bang on. Uh, wow. It's lots helps when you have a sh- like really boring life, isn't it? <laughs> well, lots to unpick. I think you've breezed through uh, some quite interesting yeah. things there. Yeah. Um, um, so that gives a sense. That's, that's yeah. great. 
So, talk me through the decision not to go to uni because that's quite a. Uh, Mm. that's quite it's maybe becoming more popular now i think but what what um what why was that motion a couple of reasons really um uh it was well i well this it's gonna sound rude but um i kind of had that weird arrogant attitude where i was like if i don't get straight a's and go to oxbridge i don't really see the point in going because unless you go to Oxbridge and then you're mixing with posh people basically and being able to get a leg up in that way the university actual education system for me I was just like what are you actually learning in these places um and I think especially with what I wanted to do which was more like a creative writing sort of angle back then it was more like a creative thing because we really like don't know this is, shouldn't I shouldn't be saying this they're going to all cast me out they'll never hire me again um but it is that kind of like the you I thought and this is me at 18 I think I should put that I sort of slightly changed my tune now at 30 um but at 18 I was just like what am I going to be learning like I need I need to be learning on the ground and I need to be sort of work be in the room in the rehearsal rooms of of new shows rather than sort of reading about you know shows that were in the 90s and stuff like that and I felt like that's what a lot of school was um which I found a bit frustrating and also pointless because you're like well there's no point learning this now if it's completely different in in the noughties um so it was kind of that so then and I didn't get straight A's because I was a bit of a dum-dum so like I didn't get into any of those and that wasn't really a prospect um so then it then happened that on that gap year and I was also in that bloody year where it changed from three grand a year to nine grand a year. And it was bloody, it, I was, then it was nine grand if I were to apply again. So that was a major contributing factor again. I was like, why would I need to be in debt for going to a university I don't really want to go to? Um, which looking back, I think might have been a good idea to go to uni, but I don't know. Um, more just for the experience. Um, but I had already sort of had the, the young experience of, you know what I mean, like a drank enough already um still am <laughs> far too much um so uh so in that gap year I essentially put myself to getting involved in as many theatres as possible and that's where the lyric actually were really brilliant with their youth program as well because they I got taught by Simon Stevens like a writing program that was the same as the Royal Courts Young Writers program uh, which is amazing and Bola Rabache and stuff like that and then I shadowed Sean Holmes in doing Blast It and um, it was all these kind of things that I ended up getting in the door and with Nick Heitner and stuff like I, and uh, Grindley, David Grindley in the West End like I managed because I was 18 and a bit just sort of went and knocked and was just like hello can I come into your theatre um, they were just sort of like who are you but yeah go on and sit 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 over there and don't say anything and um keep to yourself and it was like a lovely I think it was almost my own university of of being able to go around uh and not just sort of fancy West Endy stuff but also like the fringes and seeing how everything works from the ground up and it was quite a nice like privilege to be able to do that essentially in in when I was like 18 and sort of non and I think because I wasn't part of any program or anything like that people were fine with just me sitting in the room it didn't really matter to them whether I was there or not um so that's how I got my education basically and it was really nice 
and it made all of these sort of gatekeepers human as well which i thought was a really important thing for me um because i think like you said about uni when you get out of uni it's that terrifying moment where you're like how do i get into this industry like where where do i start it, it's horrible and, and you just got to remember that all of the machine of the industry isn't a machine at all it's all run by humans and if you can remember that and uh, work out <laughs> the human way of getting into the industry um, that I think is a way better like has a better chance of success essentially um, uh, so yeah that's kind of why I didn't go to uni um, and I think it paid off in the end. At the time, it definitely paid off. And even now, I'm like, it definitely paid off because I sort of had a three-year head start uh, in, in life kind of thing because I just sort of started going and producing shows. Um, and especially as a producer and, and like a creator, you don't, you, you don't really, like, you just need to learn on the job and learn from doing it with other people. Um, and that's definitely what, what I did. And I sort of owe it to all the people that... Um, just for whatever reason said yeah come and sit in a room and all help out on the thing um, so true yeah i got very very frustrated when i was in my final year at uni and i got finally i got like a directing course module and the guy sat us down the first hour and was just like i'm not going to teach you you're going to learn yourselves i was like what the, what the hmm. point is this you know yeah. it is true hey, you're you're grand. yeah <laughs> <laughs> give me a lesson and that is what I found really ironic is that the better you like, I find the better courses are the ones that say go out into the industry and just do it. But then another part of me is like, they're still paying you blind, bloody, and well, and if you're a foreign student, bloody 20 whatever grand for it. So I think yeah. it is a bit, it's a weird sort of sweet spoon to swallow, isn't it? That, like, yeah. Any grand to just go and do it yourself anyway. Um, so in, in that period then, before Collab was set up, before you make the decision to, was there a kind of, can you think of uh, one or two kind of defining moments in that either shows you saw or shows you worked on that you were like, that you look back on now and go, okay, I can connect the dots there. That was like a defining show. Yeah, it, went, yeah, it kind of went from, um, so I always, it was always the spy shows. I think that's what did it for me. Cause I always, um, it was more just as a child as well. Like when you're walking down the street, it's always more exciting when you think someone's following you, isn't it? Um, so it sort of all started from that kind of, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we did a thing here and then sort of looked into it and people had done similar stuff, but not quite as I wanted it to be like. Um, and it kind of, what was, again, because I was so young, it kind of, I didn't really, I wasn't in a rush or anything. There wasn't any necessary, like, I want to make an immersive theatre company now. Um, how do I get there? It was more sort of falling into certain places. Uh, and I definitely knew, because I was, I started out sort of more producing -y stuff. And that made me more frustrated because I sort of, you know, when you see mistakes being made creatively, uh, as a and as a sort of assistant producer or something like that, or a young producer, you can't sort of say anything and say, I, I think this is a bad decision. <laughs> um, so that sort of, I think that frustration and the more projects that I was on, the more projects I got sort of frustrated with creatively um, and also, I mean, organisationally, but that's a whole other problem. Um, uh, so I always knew I at, at some point wanted to make my own show and make my own company to to enable that um because i was i was tired of waiting for gatekeepers because that's what i found 
a lot of people were waiting for a lot of people were waiting to like they sent scripts in or they sent ideas into producers to hoping that they would pick them up and do them uh and i was just like why why do people wait for this when especially as a spy show i could use the streets because i was like my thing usually if i'm teaching at a university ironically uh <laughs> is like do like work within your means like if you've got a street use the street if you've got a warehouse use the warehouse if you've got a car park or a car like use the car um try and make a show however you can rather than being like oh my script should be at the royal court or the national straight away um because it's unlikely to happen like i mean yeah there's some you know law of wades out there in the world that can do it but you know that's like two two what in this decade i don't think there's been another that successful i don't know but anyway um uh so i think it went step by step through that and it's more just to be honest because it was a money financial thing uh, and i had the real privilege of like so i live with my parents um luckily and in london which is great um so i always sort of sympathize with people that move to london and have to pay flipping you know like a thousand pounds a month on rent uh and try and create an immersive like a company uh so i had that privilege and then was able to sort of work in a, i worked in a frozen yogurt shop uh, which was lovely. I wore one of them t-shirts, um, and it uh, and just saved money essentially for almost a whole year, um, and got enough. It was a couple of grand basically, and then got match funding from Arts Council, um, which was great. Uh, and then at that, that obviously at the time I was working on Rifts. That was when I was doing Macbeth, um, which was great fun, mental, like absolutely like a fun experience uh really ambitious project um this is the one overnight yeah the overnight Macbeth, yeah. where it just went nuts and people sort of defecated on the balcony and all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> um it, yeah it was a very fun experience um and that's when i got the arts council and then yeah i just sort of said to the guys like um i've, I've got this funding now i'm gonna try and make this a thing um yeah, and then went off and did Spy City, and that, uh, not Spy City, sorry, uh, Fifth Column. That was our first ever show. Shall I go into that? Ooh, well, I, maybe, maybe in a bit, but take us back to that moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to just, I think just before you even applied for Arts Council, like what were you, th yeah, were well, you thinking at that time about collab? Or were you just thinking about the show that you were going to make? I think the show. I don't think it was the company necessarily. Yeah. Um, so it was just you had an idea for a show, you needed the money yeah. to make it happen. And then... that immersive bug, you know, when you sort of kept seeing it. And this was the first, because I was the, I can't remember, assistant associate producer or something on the first ever Vault Festival, before it was even called the Vault Festival kind of thing. Um, what was it called? Coming Up, that's what it was called. And it was a Ideas Tap. Do you remember Ideas Tap? They were great. Um, and it was always during them, and Rift were great. I remember, you know, they were one of the, the sort of pioneers of it as well, in a way, um, and especially just going for it and doing a, whatever thing they wanted to do. Um, uh, so it was just sort of, I was getting absorbed and more into the world. And I think it's because I realized there is something here. It's a new thing and it's a new, like immersive is a new thing, like, well, relatively. Um, and that's kind of why I was like, oh, I really enjoy this type of theatre. And I really, even if it's rubbish, I actually enjoy it far more than a good 
sort of West End performance. Um, so I sort of started loving it and loving the work that was coming out, loving the idea that you as an audience are way more than just a passive observer watching a show. Um, and that's sort of when that coincided with the whole um, spy show, what would happen if a grenade just sort of rolled in front of me? Because everyone goes, oh, I'll do the heroic thing and sort of jump on it or something. And really, you'd probably just scream and run away. But um, is that kind of like, wouldn't it be fun if your life was just that bit more exciting? And I kind of loved that kind of pervasive uh, theory of, of layering something really exciting on top of your own life and how how we can basically make because it became dark I did have that kind of young is life just going to be this now going to work and making money and then spending it at the pub and then coming and that's it like and is that it and then you have a family and then and die um so it's kind of like the is, is obviously that'd be lovely um but uh I also was like wouldn't it be really funny if there was this layer on top which you could almost log in on and it it's almost like you are sort of stepping through a computer game screen um but it is your own life and that's kind of that sort of theory was sort of floating around my head and that mechanic of the sort of show was floating through my head and then I was started writing it a bit more I remember I've still got it actually the whiteboard at my parents like a little whiteboard and I wrote out the sort of sequence of the first or fifth column and it was this, I love it because it's just like, get radio, be a spy, go and follow an agent and like get him from a van, um, which I just really like that. It was quite a basic thing, um, which I think showed with the performance. Um, but it was just really nice going through that and then sequencing it out and then talking to the Arts Council about potentially getting some money. Um, and then thankfully getting... And then that's when I sort of went, oh, I should apply. Oh, it was at the CBT, actually. That's what happened. I went to, I think it was a mechanics-y, workshop-y, scratch thing at CBT, which are great. They're brilliant for doing that. Um, and there I was in a breakout group. What were we talking about? Oh, hacking, because that's what the fifth column was about as well. And it's all about hacking and, you know, cybercrime and spies v hackers. Um and they and we were talking about um, privacy, basically, and how the sort because of, it was just sort of on that cusp of the privacy cookies thing, and Facebook was sort of was still quite a new thing. Um, and I was talking about because in uh, the next show we did, we actually used people's personal details to sort of like say we've been following you your whole life, but you know, obviously their stuff is on Facebook, so we could regurgitate it. But they think it's a great sort of pervasive element where you're like oh shit you did you do actually know about my life and it's like well yeah you post about it every day <laughs> <laughs> um but the magic is great for that sort of simple mechanic um and i was talking in a breakout room with one of with like a group of people um oh and mel cook i remember her she was great she's a she's been brilliant um and it just turned out that there was also an arts council officer in that breakout room uh, in that breakout group who sort of after hearing me well I don't know chat rubbish probably for a good five minutes they were like oh is this a thing that's funded and I was just like no no I'll probably never get arts council and he was like oh well, I'm from the arts council um I think you should apply for it and it's like oh okay <laughs> and it was great and he, he he did have to sort of say no it doesn't like do apply because I was a bit like no only the national gets funding or 
you know a large company gets funding and they never really do seed funding type stuff um but they do i know it's getting a lot more difficult these days um especially with immersive um but they are they are there to be utilized like that is their job to give money to the arts um and if you can try and justify your show as best you can it's worth just keeping on applying um uh but yeah and then that was that moment and then we got funding and then it that sort of what changed everything and it was like oh okay this is a serious because then you have to do it because you can't <laughs> can't track your feet at any anymore so you uh so you have to do it so then i started started making the show it was quite a fun fun thing and that kind of brings me nicely on to kind of well, for, one quick question: Like, how much was that first funding bid? Can you remember? Uh, five grand or something like yeah. that. Five, seven grand. Yeah. So you're doing something on kind of seven grand yeah. total, aren't you? It, yeah, it was like a ten grand show. I think yeah. I remember it was the kind of budget. Um, so it was like nothing. Like, well, I mean, it's that well, good chunk of money, but um, yeah, uh, it'd be lovely to get ten grand. But uh, <laughs> it's one of those to do a show on that is is quite a challenge, especially one that I want. You know, I wanted every audience to have their own phone and stuff, and then yeah. out the window straight away. <laughs> um, and all of these got tech tech involvement stuff, uh, which to do properly ends up costing loads of money. Um, so we tried to do like a pirated version of it. Yeah. So how how do you think about making work and like, and maybe this has changed since Biff Colin, but like, could you talk to me about how do you what makes great immersive theatre? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of bad immersive theatre. I think I'm <laughs> first to say that. But yeah. <laughs> so what what for you? What makes really amazing immersive theatre? Yeah. Um. Oh, it's a big question, isn't it? Um. Well, I would say what, about what is immersive theatre? Like, what, oh, what is immersive theatre? Let's start that out. Uh, so we've even got we've got a table. Um, oh, I can't screen share it. That's pointless to screen share it, isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, so we, uh, for us, immersive is a design term. Again, this is a Mel Cook thing, um, and I've uh, it, it just got difficult for us, especially as programmers for theatre spaces everyone will go, I've got an immersive, blah, blah, blah. And we'll go, okay, what does that mean? So we designed a table to basically be able to get people to explain more what their shows were about when pitching them to us as a, as a venue. Uh, so we had at the top line, it was audience placement. So it was a traditional sat down sort of or, uh, voyeuristic looking um, into the show. Uh, promenade being sort of like being taken around as an audience. Uh, autonomous which is sort of complete punch drunky walkabout wherever you want uh, and then we had like an online ARG kind of area as well for people that were more going into the gamey sort of section of stuff and then design was the second line which was was it traditional end on or you know traverse or something like that immersive which is sort of the traditional immersive design of the space being entirely part of the world and then pervasive which was like is it outside and on the streets and half you know is it involving the audience in a certain way um narrative is also like placement where the audience were within the narrative is also what was quite important for us so again you've got the traditional um what's that uh which is this again sort of end on um 
interactive, which is the sort of a side sort of panto. Uh, Gatsby, for example, would I would say is a promenade immersive interactive show. Um, uh, then we have action, which is next to it, where the audience are um, important but not critical to the narrative. Uh, and that's sort of stuff that we are trying to pioneer in a way that you as an audience are uh, critical to certain elements of the, the show and the games within them. But you, the show can, the narrative is still paramount. Um, and then we have game, which is almost like the audience's interaction and activity is as is important as the characters in the show um so we made that table uh, which does look very pretty if it was there on a page so sorry it's just a ramble um and that for us means that we could define a lot of stuff so for i don't know let's do like punch drunk would be an autonomous immersive uh action maybe interactive action show um, or more traditional, really, because there's, there's, well, you get the one-on-one, I guess, so. Um, You're lucky. Yeah, a little. <laughs> um, and uh, where would Macbeth sit? Macbeth would be, I would say, promenade, very promenade, actually. Uh, immerse, well, immersive to pervasive, because it's got quite a lot of real world in there. Um, traditional theatre. As far as I was aware, it was quite a long time ago. I don't think there was any sort of audience and participation in that. Um, there might have been in the end thing where um, I've gotten a theatre company, but there was a theatre company that took over one flat and you went in there and did some ritual stuff, um, which might have been a bit interactive. Um, what's a new one? Have you seen the, um, uh, what's it called? Bloody hell. Origin. What was that one? Lost Origin. Have you seen that new one that's come out? I recommend that one. Um, yeah, Lost Origin. It was now Mead, a thing, with Factory 42. Oh, cool. Um, and it's fun. Like, the story was a bit all over the place, but, um, like, at the, the sort of tech in it is, is phenomenal. Uh, that, I would say, was Promenade, Immersive, Action, Theatre. Cool. Um, but, yeah, so there's lots of ways that we... Sort of go into it um what makes shall i go into what makes good and um, well i said what what we look for um when we're making a show n- like 80 percent of the time comes from what venue is available and we go what what does the, what does we let the building do the talking um because we don't really think there's a, any point in building a thing that completely juxtaposes the building inside the building necessarily it can work it just costs loads more money um and it's more so i've got a big book i've got a big red book um full of ideas essentially it's just full of loads of little mechanics loads of storylines loads of just gen or just ip um to be like isn't it going to be fun to do x film and be in that um i try at all times which i think is the sum of what a success for it is think of like as an audience wouldn't it be cool to see um, or be within this world. Um, I think that's where we start. Is like, where, wouldn't it be fun as an audience member to be in this world, uh, and for something to happen, whatever that is? Um, and that can be a genre. Usually, we start near a genre. Like, if we see a building, and it looks well, like for the pub, for example, it looks nineteen twenties in a way. Um, so we're like, this would be cool. Wouldn't this be great to be a nineteen twenties thing? And then you sort of 
snowball from there and how, how that comes in. And obviously, um, I don't know if I should say it, but obviously the, the popular BBC programme uh, obviously helped. Um, but I did make it before I saw that programme. I should. We did do Crooks, the original, before that programme as well. Um, but no one ever believes that, do they? Um, nah, it's fine. <laughs> um, uh, so that's kind of how it works. And then we develop, uh, I try and develop story and mechanic on top of each other. Um, and usually if you pick a genre or you pick a sort of environment first, you kind of, the story almost starts writing itself and the games almost start writing themselves. Um, again, it, I think game-wise it's important as an audience to say, wouldn't it be fun to play this game? Or, or try this mechanic out within this world. Um, and again, like things comp like zombies and resource management go together, if you know. So if you sort of think zombies, you usually go, oh, okay, either fighting zombies or like a resource management small town surrounded by zombies kind of mechanic come to your head. And that's when you then underneath that can get a bit more complicated and make a few more fun mechanics within that and stories again if you think zombies you know one of them have got to get bitten at some point you know you've got to have some sort of standoff one of them you know like what is it someone has to eat all the food or something like that it's all those kind of so that's how we kind of we start like sort of smushing everything into one document or you know on a table on a on a probably on a bloody drive file these days um Gone of the old days of paper. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> never thought I'd sound like my dad. But, uh, <laughs> um, and then we sort of fine tune it and uh, try and start writing some form of a script or at least some bullet pointed sort of structure. Uh, and we wrought a show. I think that's what Simon Stevens ironically said that. He said playwright is spelt the way it's spelt because it's from like Boatwright is, is like a maker. You make a play. Uh, you don't sort of write it as in a poet. Like you don't sort of just go, la, 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 la. Here is my script. You sort of have to make it and build it and screw it and tighten bolts and unloosen bolts and change stuff. So it's kind of like, and that's why I, I really like that idea that you create a, a piece from Smush. So we make the material, which is all the ideas, and then we start smushing them together with metaphorical screwdrivers. Um, yeah, so that's how we sort of start. That's our primary ideas. Um, so then from there, we, um, uh, what do we do from there? So yeah, so we write the script. We have usually like, um, the most advanced I have it is a full form script with this timing. I've got like a timing spreadsheet uh, that follows every audience member well it's usually five audience member per like a square um see where every so can then then you can sort of visualize where everyone will be at what time uh how it would all sort of link with each other and how mechanics would match up to other mechanics um lay that all out get back to the ready point and that's when you sort of start casting and get people involved um usually as soon as you get it into the rehearsal room and r&d it uh, all of that bloody goes out the bloody window anyway. Um, a lot of actors that listen to this, so it's what what do I need from your point of view as a casting, if you're casting me, what, what are the kind of key things? What are you looking for? Oh, that's another big um, 
Ideally, yeah, because the thing when you said what makes a good immersive thing just now, um, I think acting is actually quite an essential um, part of it. Um, and it can make a bad show good or a good show bad. Um, I've had examples of that over the last two weeks. Um, I think as an actor, um, so we, we struggle a lot in the immersive world um, because it's so mechanical sometimes as an actor in an immersive piece. You have to remember what time you have to be in what place what piece of information you need to be telling certain types of certain audience members. Um, so there's so much logistical, mind numbing fuckery going on in your head that you have to remember at all times um, that you sort of forget about the, you know, the, the acting, acting, darling. Um, so is that kind of, I think, but I do think it's more important because our major thing for actors is we, which is horrible for an actor to hear, but we say it's the audience's show at all times. They've paid to be here. They're paid to have a good time. We're giving them mechanics and new mechanics for everyone to have a really good time. And as an ethos, as a company, we're, we want to bring everyone together. Like our thing is just bringing people together and having a good time together because it's sort of something that we're losing as well, especially our sort of absorption into social media and, and being in this, especially now in front of a screen the whole time. Um, I think it's pushing us apart. So this is what we were about, bringing people together and playing essentially in a safe, bringing making a safe place to play. Um, so as an actor, you're there to facilitate an audience's member's journey throughout a piece whilst also being able to give an amazing acting performance. Um, so our primary thing is how well are you at maintaining mechanical thought um, and where like where you are and what you're doing, how you share the room, which is also a massive thing. Are you trying to be the, the main center of attention? Um, and I think it's horrible to say that in an audition when you say read the room and, and try and balance it because all the actors then try and do nothing um, to not sort of look like they're being a dick. Um, and it's sort of balancing and when is it a good time to shine and when is it a good time to pull back and it's listening to your audience i think all the bad immersive shows i've seen which are you know range from how bad uh it's it's usually that an actor's just saying stuff to your audience and they're just splurting a script out there's not much like and if an actor if an audience member says something back the actor seizes up and just goes oh god no you've taken me off script now um i and then panic and obviously it is a panic thing because you're just used to regurgitating the script um because it is it's really exposing because you've taken away and i think i think i saw on your uh website it says we don't just get rid of the fourth wall we smash all of the walls um and that is horrible because you haven't got your back your backs exposed as an actor um to audience members so that's the other thing is positioning and stuff like that and also being able to be that vulnerable and that exposed in a group of audience members and not panicking like it's 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 really intimidating and i completely understand why it, a lot of actors hate immersive acting um but that's what i think we find more important is that kind of mechanical thought willingness to be exposed um willing to play um, willing to, I guess, and people say impro, um, but what annoys me about impro is that people have that like a specific perspective of what impro is, and it's not quite impro, it's playing, um, which I think are really different sort of things. Um, 
so but as if if we want to sort of caveat it, it would be like willingness to improvise uh and ability to improvise um and then but weirdly then also be a good actor so it's kind of like a hard that's the thing that if you can then pull out an amazing monologue when because usually that's how we structure our workshops uh, we do like a mechanical stuff at the beginning test people's like ability to retain um and willingness to play and uh, ability to make work as well that's also quite important to us um and then we just do a monologue because it's also on, on top of all of that can you also act like can you can you do like a like a good emotion and we're not talking about crying on on cue kind of thing but are you able to sort of deliver some script with some power because when we get to that point you do have to go from dealing with 20 people that might be a bit pissed and sort of having fun to then having quite an emotional scene where you might have a gun to your head it's it's really difficult as an actor to try and get to that place emotionally um but a lot of actors can and, and you know that's sort of what they're taught for the three years if they have gone to um uni or drama school so it's um so i think that's what we kind of look for but we also really appreciate people that make work as well and are there having ideas and are able to sort of play with us um because that's essentially what it is it's all a bit silly it's not um it's not to take it too soon. Oh, that's a big thing. Personality actually is a is another thing. Sorry to keep rambling, but um, no, no, it's good. It's good to get um, We we want to make sure, and, and usually when we cast, we try and make a group. And again, I think that's also what's really quite crushing about actors. When you get re rejected, every actor go, "It's me personally. I'm rubbish," and it never really is. It's usually, if we, especially with us as well, it's like, do, does this cast work together? and does this person work with this person um and it's rarely because people are bad like because you you have to be really bad like it's it's not <laughs> um it's it's no you most people are usually good at acting if they're choosing to do it um and most so, people are usually good enough to do the part if you've got an audition right so you you're exactly. immediately good yeah. enough it's just whether you're right for that part so. yeah exactly and i think that's the that's the um that's the one thing I wish I could shake actors about every now and then yeah. they when they get in the dark place of going I'm yeah it's like no, no it's not more rubbish it's just other things are uh, contributing to it um and we that's why we actually quite well we're trying to do it more especially now and do look out for it if 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 you're listening to it uh we're trying to do two big auditions every year um so we're less sort of going so a it's less pressure on the actor because they're less going i'm i'm needed for this role b they don't sort of try and perform as that role which i've always noticed if they come dressed as a witch um, all the time. <laughs> um uh, also it's that kind of like let's just get in a room and play and just see how sort of silly it is and, and relaxed it is because it's not we're not there to be pretentious if we can um and the work sort of speaks for itself so it's it's um we do try and do that every year um, and if you sign up to our we have got a specific acting mailing list kind of thing um that if you want to take part and also it's more like it's just a free workshop and we do some um, uh, actual training in it as well so it's worth doing um and you might get hey i might come along yeah do come down <laughs> great yeah, it'd be lovely could yeah. you could you talk to me about um how you've come to run several venues like what 
what mm. made it so that you could because yeah. it's quite a untraditional route to start a theatre company and then house yourself in a venue to then be able to make work in that space like how how's that come about yeah um yeah more from um I don't know when I again I don't think I made that direct decision I must have because it it takes quite a lot to get a venue um I think it came from I think what happened is that I found because it's more than factory really because I, I I knew the show we wanted to do which was his crooks the original crooks um which was like a Guy Ritchie kind of more cockney 90s uh crooksy thing um and we, I was just looking for a venue for that because I was like, you can't really do that out on the street because they, um, well, I think people would just be embarrassed if they're sort of effing and blinding, pretending to be Vinnie Jones on the on the normal street. Um, so we were like, we need a venue. And then it sort of, it was with that search that then I found the factory. Um, and then we magically got it. It was a bit like I just cycled past it and knocked on the door because um, I saw they were moving out. Um, and then just one thing led to the next. So it was like total luck. A lot of like, uh, uh, it took eight months of searching. I should caveat that it, with that. Um, and then this this thing sort of magically happened and then it kind of like evolved and became a different thing and they, they asked for loads of money in the end. But They did um, ask for loads of money. Or... Yeah, by the end. It was free for three months. Wonderful. Completely so what, free. What was that conversation then? Hi, I want to... Oh, um, building. Basically, yeah. I, I, uh, a lot of people do are saying like, "How do you?" <laughs> um, and that, yeah, it was luck because then I met the exact right person. I met the direct owner of the actual space, um, so I could ask them directly. Um, and then again, luckily, they their son was in the arts already, so they sort of had a sympathetic ear to that stuff. Because um, a lot of us, I've been chatting to estate agents this morning. And one literally, I rang up and went, hey, we're looking at this space. Um, they went, what do you want to do with it? And we're like, oh, we're a theatre company. He literally went, oh, okay. Um, it's, it's probably not useful for theatre. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay, fuck you. Because know? um, they basically hate it because theatre never has any bloody money. Um, so if they're unsympathetic to the sort of theatre angle and it being a sort of cheap deal, fuck um i mean there was obviously a lot of skill involved but uh and it, well just a lot of searching it was persevering um and carrying on and keep keeping my eye out i'm always pissing off my partner because whenever we're walking around i'm always looking and stopping and taking a foot and like sort of trying to get in um not physically obviously um <laughs> breaking into loads of buildings constantly <laughs> um uh it's that kind of thing it's 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 sort of like an addiction almost it's, it's yeah of a persevering and then we luckily we struck gold um and then now it's become a bit more of a regimented thing it's the same the same thing and and you know sometimes there are cheap spaces going but it's also working within your means i think it's we got lucky but if i didn't i was also looking at a car park um that we could do a gangster thing in and i thought we could do that we could buy like an old battered three-wheeler kind of um only fools and horses kind of car um put that in a car park and then suddenly you go oh it's the 90s sort of thing and you kind of get it um and that was the and we were quite close to doing that and talking to a car park about that 
Um, but then they turned around, wanted a hundred grand straight away off the back. Only six months, hundred grand for like quite a small car park. I was like, <laughs> you bastards. Um, so it's lucky that didn't come go through. Yeah. Um, how how did you get the money for the when, once the factory did start wanting money? How how did how was that funded? Were you up and ready and could? Yeah. So we did the three months of like sort of getting it ready and then. Crooks managed to make enough money to sort of keep the space. Um, and then as we just basically made more money, the the owner was a bit more like, oh, it looks like you're making money now. Give us some money. And he's like, okay, fine. Um, but they were quite, like it sort of went tit for tat, which is quite nice. They weren't too ruthless. Um, more because I, I just sort of said, this is what, this is it. Like we, we weren't yeah. quite with them. Um and showed them our books and stuff and said, like, this is what we're able to make if you want to take it all. We'll just have to leave. So do you want to shut us down or not? <laughs> um, yeah. And it's usually, again, like, that was a magic, like, that's a unicorn of a landlord. Um, you Like, a landlords we have at the moment are horrendous, um, really unsympathetic and just don't care whatsoever um yeah and it's just like pay us and fuck off um so it's kind of and but again i think it's working within your means if you can't afford a space don't get it um and don't don't think it's a be all or end all it's, it's not um the work if you if you have to have a huge warehouse space to make your message or your work matter and, and work as a piece then it's you you're probably not thinking in the right way. You should probably think, what have I got and how can I make work within this thing? And um, I think it's Tassos, Tassos Stevens, he even said it, he said, um, restriction is the mother of all creativity. Um, the best or the best mother, can't remember, freedom and restriction anyway. Um, and it is true, it's that, it's that like you have to, you have to be restricted. And if you, again, like if you want your show in the bloody West End straight away, it's just not gonna like, it's not going to happen unless you're very privileged and you know, dad, daddy's plastic can pay for it. Um, it's not going to happen. So there's no like just work within your means and then grow. And that's what we did. We just grew as we did it. Um, and obviously just trying to make financially stable productions that don't hemorrhage money and, and sink. What, what's next for, for CoLab? Um, I think we were talking about IP recently um, and the importance of IP um, and we're wondering whether to sort of buy a big IP um, and sell a show through that, which has obviously worked for some companies, um, but also dramatically failed for some companies. Um, I think the work we would like to make, I, I'm hesitant to do Carousel again, uh, the sort of a promenade walk through the next thing. Uh, and do you know 10 of those every night because it's really dull for actors I think um, and quite just the sort of creative energy induced from it goes quite quickly I think um, so we would quite like to do I think especially next year like a show that's for like 100 people maybe 150 small in in sort of the big scheme of things but also quite big for an immersive show um open next year simultaneously um because that's when i think we can look after ourselves um and be able to sort of run as a proper company um 
whilst having four smaller shows on rather than doing like a mass thousand people, two thousand people a night type show that if we did do that, we would want to spend a lot of money. And I do think the financials get a bit skewed when you want to do a show that's directly involved. Like every audience has a thing for two thousand people. It's almost impossible to do. Um, and sometimes it works, you know, some of the secret cinemas are, are brilliant. Um, and I think they work really well, but then also on the same hand, sometimes they're really, well, I won't say what, but uh, let's say I'm not the biggest fan of some of them. Um, and that's, and again, it's logistics. It's logistics probably more so than creativity a lot of the time. And it's just the difficulty of you processing that many audiences. Um, at one time and, and of course you can't do it because no brain can really fit 4,000 journeys in their head at, and think about the actual narrative arc of that one audience member when there are 4,000 of them and you only have you know 40 actors or something to do it um, so it's a challenge so yeah that's our plan next year is to try and get four two one to two like larger 100 150 and then three sort of 50 people shows um, all open at once because it was a big milestone for us recently to have Crooks and Echoes open at once uh, and it's something I've been wanting for the last eight years but have never achieved um, more because it's me by myself running about trying to solve everything but now it's nice because we're building the team and we've got a wicked um, bunch of people around us um, shout out to them um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great yeah massive good luck with it um, um and and also thank you so much for your for your time today and your your honesty and I've, it's been really amazing just to get an insight into the inner workings oh yeah it's a pleasure